welcome to the Kalamo Pod, the one and only podcast on themes in classical Islamic theology, hosted by me, Hannah Albein. Ardent listeners of the Kalamo Pod will recall that in the two previous episodes, I spoke about what the Mutakalimun meant when they said that God is the creator of the world. This was an important theological problem for them, as the Quran describes God in this way time and again. First, we saw that the Mutakalimun understood God's creation of the world in a specific way. There was a state of affairs when only God existed, and not the world, and then God created the world, at some point in the past, and from nothing. Then we zoomed in on the problem of creation, just as the Mutakalimun did in their works. We saw that the Mutakalimun were eager to extend God's creative activity to creating the events we witness around us. This meant, in consequence, that they denied independent natural causality and insisted instead that natural events are God's direct creation. But what about human agency? Are human actions also created by God, like everything else in the world? Or do at least we humans bring about our own actions? Here we saw that the Mutakalimun were divided among each other and did not agree. One theological school named the Mu'tazila argued that humans really are the creators of their own actions. We have a free will and choose what actions we want to perform, and it is certainly not God who is causally responsible for our actions. Another theological school named the Ash'ariya argued the exact opposite. Humans might think that they bring about the actions, but this is not the case. It is God who creates our actions. We humans have no true causal efficacy, and all actions which we perform are entirely dependent on God's creative activity. You will recall that the dispute about human and divine agency was not just some theoretical problem among the Mu'tazilites and the Asharites, but that a lot was at stake for them. Well, let me tell you about yet another reason why the Mutakalimun spent literally centuries puzzling their heads over this problem. This reason directly relates to the very foundations of the science of Kalam and the claim of the Mutakalimun to scrutinize religious dogmas and to rest them on a rational foundation. What happened was that the disagreement among the two theological schools the Mu'tazilites and the Asharites about human and divine agency turned into a dispute about whether, because of this disagreement, the whole enterprise of Kalam was doomed to collapse like a house of cards. And this is what we will look at in today's episode of the Kalamopod. So, imagine you're a Mutakalim, or, to use the female form of the word, a Mutakalima. You have made it your task to scrutinize all sorts of religious dogmas and to find reason-based arguments on which to rest these dogmas. You have taken this task upon yourself so as to be able to defend these dogmas against adherents of other faiths who might challenge them, 
and so as to be able to say that you are not blindly following religious teachings, but presenting good reasons for why you believe what you believe. Now imagine you want to subject to this sort of scrutiny one of the central dogmas of your faith, which is that the world really does depend on God for its existence and that God really is the creator of the world. How would you go about proving the central dogma? What sorts of rational arguments would you present? Well, if you listened to episode 5 of the Kalamopod, you would have an answer ready for me now. You might do it as the Mutter Kalimun did it and present the so-called argument from accidents, which was the go-to argument for generations of Mutter Kalimun. But this wasn't the only argument the Mutter Kalimun came up with in defense of the dogma that the world depends on God as its creator. They also made use of analogical reasoning. Analogical reasoning was actually one of the favorite arguments of the early generations of Mutter Kalimun in particular, until later generations realized that there might be some well, let's call it difficulties associated with it and consequently replaced it by other forms of proof. So what does analogical reasoning actually do? Generally speaking, when you use analogical reasoning, you draw a comparison between two things. You say, for example, that some statement is true for this thing because the statement is true for another thing and the two things resemble each other in some respect. Or, to phrase it differently, you transfer a judgment about one thing to another thing based on some similarity between them. When you think about it, we actually use analogical reasoning all the time in all areas of life, in politics, in literature, in law, and so on. Well, the Mutakalimun did use analogical reasoning as a proof in their science as well. Take as an example the 10th century Mutakalim al-Ash'ari, whose name I am sure you will be familiar with by now from the previous episodes of the Kalamopod. In one of his works, entitled Kitab al-Luma, or the Radiant Book, al-Ash'ari has a section which deals with the proof that the world is created by God. There he presents an argument from analogy, which runs like this, and I'm quoting for you. What is the proof that there is a creator for creation? The proof is this. Cotton cannot change into spun thread, then a woven garment, without a weaver or maker. He who takes cotton and expects it to become spun thread, and then a woven garment, Without a maker or weaver, he is out of his mind and in utter ignorance. Likewise, he who looks at a wasteland where there is no castle and expects clay to turn into a different state and to pile itself up as bricks without a maker or builder, he is ignorant. So, what is Al-Ashari arguing here? He argues that we know that garments do not bring about their own existence, and castles also do not just pop into existence. To expect that would mean pure ignorance. Rather, we all know from experience 
that garments come into existence because we humans bring them into existence. And the same is also true of castles, which are made by humans. And now comes in the analogy. Just as garments and castles depend for their existence on us humans as their makers, so the world must also depend for its existence on God as its maker. And this is precisely what Al-Ash'ari wanted to prove. But why does Al-Ash'ari think that he can actually draw an analogy between garments, castles and humans on the one hand and the world and God on the other? He thinks that this analogy is valid because the world shares a fundamental similarity with garments and castles, as Al-Ash'ari tells us in his book. They all undergo change. If it is true of garments and castles that they depend on us humans because we bring about their change, and Al-Ash'ari here means that we make garments by transforming thread into fabric and by transforming bricks into an actual building, then it must also be true of the world that it depends on God precisely because it also undergoes change and transformations. So here you go. If you were a Mutakalim or a Mutakalima, you might want to take your inspiration from Al-Ash'ari and his analogy in order to prove that the world depends on God. This would of course require that you find the analogy between garments and buildings on the one hand and the world on the other a convincing analogy. If you were to accept this analogy, Let me tell you that you would be in very good company. Many early Mutakalimun, and not just Al-Ash'ari, made use of this particular analogy, and you will frequently encounter it when you read in their Kalam works. But let me also tell you that it was precisely this sort of analogy between humans as makers of garments and buildings, and God as the maker of the world, that caused the major rift between the Mutakalimun, which I spoke about earlier. Think about it. This analogy takes as its starting point the experience that garments, buildings and so on exist because of humans. But let's think back for a moment to the previous episode of the Kalamopod and what we heard about the two different theories about human agency which the Asharite and Mu'attazilite Mutakalimun subscribed to. It was this disagreement about human agency which led the Mu'attazilites to hold against the Asharites that they could actually not make use of the analogy between humans as agents and God as agent. The Mu'attazilites reminded the Asharites that they, I mean the Asharites, do not actually believe that humans are true agents, but that all human actions are in reality God's creation. Do you remember the example I gave you in the previous episode of when you want to toss an apple up into the air? According to the Asharites, it sure seems to you that it was you who caused the apple to fly into the air when you moved your hand upwards, but in reality, It was God who created movement in your hand and in the apple at the same time. So, in the analysis of the Asharites, 
what we humans identify as cause and effect, is not really a cause and an effect. So the Mortazilites basically said to the Asharites, you do not actually believe that the garment and the building come about because of us humans. According to you, this is an illusion. In reality, it is God, according to you, who creates movement in us and brings about the garment and the building. So how can you use garments and buildings and us humans as an analogy in order to prove that the world really does depend on God? Unless you say, as we Mortazilites do, that humans really are agents who bring about garments and buildings, you cannot use this as an analogy in order to prove that God really is an agent who brought the world into existence. For the Mortazilites, the Asharites' denial of true human agency had detrimental consequences. Since the Asharites could no longer make use of the analogy between humans as agents and God as agent, they were unable to prove the all-important doctrine that the world really is created by God. And since the proof of this doctrine was the starting point of all further inquiries about God undertaken by the Mutakalimun, the Mu'tazilites accused the Asharites of putting the whole enterprise of Kalam at risk. But instead of only listening to my words, listen to how Al-Juvaini, an 11th century Mutakalim, recounts the dispute between Mu'tazilites and Asharites in one of his works, entitled Kitab al-Shamil, or The Complete Book, and I'm quoting. The most absurd thing Al-Ashari said was to declare him ignorant who expects a building to come about without a builder and a book without a writer. According to Al-Ashari, the book and the building do not actually come about by humans. There is then no point in using as evidence something that contradicts one's own principle. The consequence of this is that you followers of Al-Ashari are unable to prove that the world is created by God, since you deny that we humans actually bring about our actions. You can imagine that the Asharites were not happy about the accusation brought forward by the Mu'tazilites that they put the whole enterprise of Kalam at risk. So the Asharites decided to employ a strategy that would allow them to continue making use of the analogy between garments buildings and humans on the one hand and the world and God on the other, without, however, having to affirm that humans are true independent agents, as the Mu'tazilites wanted to push them. Here is al Javani's account of what the Asharites replied to the Mu'tazilites, and I'm quoting again. The book is connected to the writer. We Asharites accuse him of ignorance who expects a book and a building to come about without a writer and a builder. Since the two are definitely connected, and since our objective is simply to affirm this connection in general, but not its details, it does not matter how precisely book and writer are connected and how precisely building and builder are connected. 
the reasonable person knows about their connection and then investigates the details of this connection through speculation. So the strategy employed by the Asharites was to say that questions of detail about human agency are simply irrelevant for the validity of their analogy. We know from experience that buildings, books, garments and so on are connected to humans. That's all we need to know in order to say that in analogy the world is connected to God. The details of the connection can be figured out later. And most importantly, the whole Kalam project would not run the danger of collapsing like a house of cards. You can imagine that this is not where the dispute among Mu'tazilites and Asharites ended. There was a lot more back and forth going on. In any case, once the Mutakalimun started to dive head-on into the ocean of Kalam, they found themselves quarreling and disagreeing and debating about all sorts of questions. God's role as creator and human agency were only one such question. There were plenty of other questions that gave them ample opportunity to continue their debates. For example, the divine attributes. For what precisely did the Quran mean when it described God as knowing, powerful, speaking, and so on? Well, this story has to wait till the next episode of the Kalamopod, the one and only podcast on themes in classical Islamic theology, hosted by Hannah Elwein. Thanks for listening and hear you soon. <laughs>